today we thank you, Lord, that you're right here in our midst. And, Lord, we give you all the credit and all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, And we, we praise you for your word in our life. And everybody said, amen. If you were here last Sunday, you know that uh, I um, almost uh, had to quit preaching. I got so emotionally choked up by the chest congestion uh, that uh, came upon me. But I'm doing better. But if I cough or sputter a little, you just lift your hand and say, oh, bless him, Jesus. Amen. In fact, just practice. Here's a practice. <coughs> okay, all right, there you go. And uh, in fact, uh, Kelly even brought me a Ricola in case I need that. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and open that up and make ready in case I do. So I'll have all the necessary equipment to keep me moving forward. I want, to, I want you to turn in two, to two passages. Hold your place there. John 7, verse 37, and Ephesians 5. John 7, verse 37 through 39, and Ephesians 5. Uh, we're going to continue talking about the river in a moment. While you're turning there, let me just say about Wednesday night. I encourage as many people as can to be here on Wednesday night. Ryan, stand up there. There's Ryan, our youth pastor. Ryan, every week, he, what I call, shucks the corn, ministers to young people, takes care of your young people, and he wants them here on Wednesday night. And though Laura Beth is not here, there's Laura Beth, uh, and she's uh, uh, just, uh, how old, Josiah's four weeks today? Six o'clock, 610, 6.15? He'll be four weeks old, and there he is. Stacy's already holding him, and she's getting ready for grandson or granddaughter number three because they're going to have a baby in August. And so, granddaughter? Well, I said that's right, a grandson or a granddaughter. We don't know. We'll know before long. Uh, so, hey, they, they invest in your children day in, day out, especially on Wednesday night. So, we want you to come and plug in and get your children involved on Wednesday night. You see little Helen here, and, uh, you know, she just grew up here in church, and so she's just growing in Christ. Your kids will be blessed by being involved on Wednesday night, and you will as well. In fact, our adult class, we're talking about the purposes of God for our life in February and really looking uh, through the Purpose Driven Life book that uh, was written by Rick Warren and really plugging into those five things. And it's been a really encouraging, enlightening thing for us. And so this Wednesday night, we'll be talking about plugging into your purpose and in and, and ministry and service and, and uh, just getting involved in what God is doing, uh, not only to you, but through you. So it'll be a great time this Wednesday night. The river. Everyone say the river. When I was young, we used to sing it, this song, There is a River. Uh, and uh, I think, oh gosh, Bill Gaither and all those guys sang it. And it just stirred my heart. And it, it brought me to this passage of Scripture uh, uh, many times and again. But uh, a few weeks ago, God laid this verse on my heart in John chapter 7. Uh, uh, and I began to pray and meditate on it. Uh, and it says... 37 through 3, that should be 39. So uh, where's Tiffany? Tiffany, there you slipped up right there. Tiffany's my peruser, or what do you call it? She peruses, makes sure, fix all my mistakes. And so it got past me, it got past Tiffany, it got past Ike. Uh, and so we're all guilty. Forgive us, O Lord. But here it is. I want us to read it together. This is the words of Jesus. And this is the, the preliminary ver part of the verse. It says, at the end, of the, on the last day of the great feast. Now, the great feast was the Feast of Tabernacles, where the, uh, the, the Jews to this day celebrate 
the fact that God brought them through the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. And even today, it's a week long. It's kind of like our Thanksgiving, if you will. And it's a great feast of Thanksgiving and fellowship and food. How many of you love Thanksgiving? These people do it all week long. And I'm, I'm a proponent of that. I think we need to have Thanksgiving week. I think it needs to start on Sunday afternoon and go through the whole week and finish on Sunday afternoon. And we just in feast and fellowship for a week. All in favor of that, say aye. Any opposed like sign? And of course, there is none. We just did it. Okay. So I think that ought to be the case. And that's the way it is with the, with the Jews. And they, it's just a great feast. Everybody on the last day is sitting around going, hallelujah. And that's the way it was happening when Jesus got up. And it says that he cried out. Everybody say cried out. And if you look at that word, it's with passionate, loud, uh, declarative voice to as many as could hear him. He cried out. And he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, or King James says, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. And then John says, and this, what he was talking about, in verse 39, I believe, was the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so Jesus was prophetically declaring that there would come a day and a come away when people who thirsted after him, and this is what we learned last Sunday, you know, if you, if you want the river of God to flow through you, uh, if you want the river to be manifest in and through you, you've got you to gotta get thirsty. You gotta, and it's anyone. Jesus said anyone, and anyone doesn't mean everyone. It means anyone who thirsts. If you're thirsty for this, guess what? You're in a good place. But then the second thing we learned last Sunday, you've got to come to him because he's the one who's going to give you the drink. In fact, the Bible says, John the Baptist said about Jesus, he said, I baptize you with the baptism under repentance, but there's one coming after me who's mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unlatch or to latch. He will baptize you, speaking of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, hey, you've got to get thirsty. You've got to come to Jesus. Everybody say, come to Jesus. We looked at Peter. I'd like to preach that all over again. Who's all, he had, though he had some faults, he was always coming to Jesus. Everybody say, come to Jesus. Some of us need to have a come to Jesus meeting in our life about where we are with him. And then it says this, you've got to drink. You've got to partake. It's a group effort. And, you know, you can't just look at it. You've got to partake. You've got to jump on in. Everybody say, jump on in. You've got to jump on in and begin to partake of all that God has for you and, and the river that he has not only to flow to you but through you. And then you've got to uh, couple all that with believing. It says, he who believes in me. I'm not talking about a head knowledge. I'm talking about a heart knowledge, a kind of belief that says, I trust God for my future. I trust God for my life. I trust God that he's going to give me everything I need. And I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment and the equipping of the Holy Spirit is for me. Everybody say, I believe. 
And so that's what we looked at last Sunday as we talked about the river for the first time. Uh, and Acts chapter 2, as we know, is the fruition of that prophetic declaration that Jesus made that day on the last day of the feast. And we saw in Acts chapter 2 where the, the, the disciples, the first century church, was all together in one place, in one accord, praying and seeking God. And suddenly, Acts 2 says, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the church was born. Everybody said amen. And we know the reason for all of it was beyond just what some people think. When they think about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they think about the gifts of the Spirit, and those are all valid and good. But you know what did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1? He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And when you receive the promise of the Father, you'll receive power. Somebody say power. Power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we know the real purpose and reason for this outpouring is not selfish, but it's selfless. It has to do with others. And so with that in mind, I gave you this important insight. I want to rehearse it with you again. An important insight about this river that God has uh, for us that Jesus said out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Here it is. The release of the river within us is not simply to satisfy spiritual hunger flowing selfishly to us but influentially flowing through us to a world in need of a Savior. Everybody meditate on that a second. Let's read it together. Everyone, here we go. The release of the river within us is not simply to satisfy spiritual hunger flowing selfishly to us, but influentially flowing through us to a world in need of a Savior. That's what the river is all about. In fact, everybody say in fact. I wish I had time today to go to this prophetic. You write this down. It's not in our notes this morning. But uh, Ezekiel 47, the first 12 verses, Ezekiel has a vision of the temple or the tabernacle uh, in, I, I would assume, heaven. And basically what he sees in this vision is water, a river flowing out the front of the temple, out the back of the temple, out the left of the temple and out of the right of the temple and forming this huge river. Ooh, it's a great vision. In fact, the, the Bible says that uh, it got deeper and deeper and the invitation to Ezekiel was come on in and it just got deeper and deeper and it got so deep he, he was just swimming in the river. Now, what was that all about? Well, if you go to re the end of Revelation, you'll find that's a picture of heaven. But how many of you know it's also a picture of us because, and, and, and symbolic of us because we are the temple of God? Could I get a better amen? And I believe it's a picture of how the river of God wants to flow not just to us but through us to all different areas. And I love this because it says in this river there were trees beside the river whose leaves were for the healing of the nations. You see, the river is about others, amen? Tell somebody, look around and say, the river is about others. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about others. It's about those who have yet to name the name of Christ. And so catch this with me. The river, the release of the river within us is not simply to satisfy spiritual hunger, though it does. Uh, it, it's flowing selfishly to us, but influentially flowing through us to a world in need of a Savior. Last Sunday, we learned that the river is available to those who thirst, those who come, those who partake. 
and those who believe. Now this morning, I want to follow that same note, but it's going to change a little bit. You know, this, this message last Sunday was kind of a amen, brother. Everybody say amen, brother. Oh, I'm thirsty for God. Oh, I'm coming to Jesus. Oh, I'm partaking. Oh, I believe. Amen. Everybody go, amen, brother. Well, we got one more point that you're going to have to really work to say amen. And that is born from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And I want you to turn there. And here's the point. The river is available to those who sober up. Everyone say sober up. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me show you this verse. Well, I memorized this years ago, but let me read it in context in verse 15. Paul said, see then that you walk circumspectly, that is wisely, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Everyone say the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Everyone say the will of the Lord. Now, Look in verse 18, because this certainly has to do with the will of the Lord. And do not be drunk with wine wherein is in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with what? The Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I love the message. It's a paraphrase. If, if you have a chance, go to the, the, get you a copy or get online and look at the message. In fact, there's a great Bible study tool on our website down at the bottom of our homepage that links you to, I think it's BibleStudyTools.com. I'm not sure. It's a great tool. You can tap into all kinds of versions and paraphrases. But the message says, don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God, huge amounts of Him. And so today, I want to talk to you about the reality uh, in, of the world around us because, you know, in order to be fully controlled and under the influence of the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life, we've got to unshackle ourselves, if you will, from those things in our life and in the world around us that would tend to intoxicate us. And I speak not only of things like, you know, alcohol as Paul did or drugs. I, think, I, I speak of things that, that are intoxicating that have nothing to do with what you drink or put in your system, but what you allow in your spiritual life. How many of you know there are things in this world that are not, uh, you know, of an alcoholic nature or of a drug nature, but they still have an alcoholic effect on our spiritual life? And they begin to control us. And what Paul was saying here in this verse, he said, hey, if you want to know what the will of God is, if you want to understand what it's going to take to walk wisely and circumspectly in these evil days, let me tell you where you need to begin. You need to stop allowing the influences of this world to intoxicate you and control you and yield yourself to the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen? Everybody say sober up. Now, this morning, I've got about 30 minutes. I'm going to do my best. But I want to tell you, you better put your Bible study on right now. Look at your neighbor and say, you better get your Bible study on. Get your Bible study on because we're going to walk through some... This is not normal P. Sam preaching here. It's a little teach. It's a little... And we're going to look at a lot of different verses. But I want to show you something today. I want to walk you through a little New Testament uh, quick survey of the topic of the importance and the priority of, of maintaining physical as well as spiritual sobriety in your life. 
Let's do it quickly. Uh, Luke chapter 21. You can just mark these down and, and look them up later if you like. Luke 21 verse 34, the context, Jesus is talking. The context has to do with the end of the days, with the last days. And here's what he says. He says, take heed to yourselves. Everyone say, take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, and catch this word, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. Jesus is warning us that in the last days, and we're living in the last days, there's going to be influences in our life that are going to come along in our life. And if we're not careful, they'll begin to control our lives and influence us. And we'll become intoxicated with those things and we'll miss what God has for us. And in the day of the Lord, the coming of Christ, we will be shocked and surprised by his return. And so we find Jesus warning us about things that intoxicate us, things of this world. Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 13, let's, let's move on down. Romans 13, 13, Paul said this. He said, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. Somebody say drunkenness. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. There again, we find Paul talking about influences. uh, I think both uh, natural as well as spiritual uh, and even social influences that can be intoxicating in our life and draw us away and keep us from the real call of God on our life. And what he's saying is we can't be intoxicated by the things of this world. Galatians chapter 5, most of you know it as the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh chapter. Galatians 5 talks about the works of the flesh. And he says, let me tell you about one of the works of the, the, works of the flesh. There's envies, murders, drunkenness. Most people think, ooh, murder, that's terrible. But how about allowing yourself to be intoxicated and under the control of some substance other than the Spirit of God that would cause you to miss God's best for your life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're taking a walk through the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Again, the context here has to do with the end times about how we ought to uh, keep ourselves on, in, on target with God's purpose and plan for our life. He says in verse 6, he says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be what? Somebody say sober. In other words, in these last days, you've got to be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Somebody say be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And then Peter pipes in. Peter pipes. Everybody say Peter pipes. Peter pipes in. If you want to turn over to Peter and catch this, there's three. Peter hit it three different times. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be what? Sober. Somebody say sober. And rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then again in verse chapter 4, verse 7, look what he says. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful. King James says, sober in your prayers. And then one more that many of you may know. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober. 
Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So we see through Scripture this, this, the reality and the priority of not allowing the influences around us in this world. And let me tell you, this world around us is very influential. There's many intoxicating things in the world that begin to control our lives that may or may not be in a bottle or in, a, in the form of a pill or a shot in the arm that have to do with our spirit that we allow into our life and into our soul and they begin to intoxicate us. And let me just say this sadly, pastorally, I see this, that many of God's people live the majority of their lives under the intoxicating influences of things of this world. It's a sad thing. But I see it over and over again. And so, and, and as a result, the Holy Spirit is not allowed to flow through us because we're intoxicated by other things. And that's why we go, we go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be intoxicated with these things. Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In a sense, be intoxicated, controlled, and under the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me give you a little hint for next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about Living a life under the influence. What does it mean to live a life under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit in our life? Turn around to somebody around you. It's getting a little tight in here. Turn around to somebody and say, hey, are you under the influence? Are you under the influence? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So that's next Sunday. Now, this morning... I want to talk to you, I want to share with you some sobering scriptures, some truths from these sobering scriptures that'll help us sober up because, hey, we got to sober up. Tell your neighbor, it's time to sober up. We've got to sober up. So from these passages of scriptures, I have five, I have six. If we have time, I'll get to the sixth one. It doesn't have to do with any of the scriptures I showed you, but it's so good. If I have time, I'll throw it out at you. But I want to show you some sobering things that you and I need to tap into in our life to be a tap into these scriptures in order to sober up so we can begin to be filled up and intoxicated with the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Number one, it's all the way from that Luke 21 passage where Jesus was talking uh, about taking heed to yourselves. The first one is we sober up by taking heed. Everyone say taking heed. We take heed to ourselves. You see, some people in their life, they're just waiting on God to do something in their life. Just waiting on God to fix us. Waiting on God. How many of you know, uh, walking in the Spirit and being free in Christ is a cooperative effort? Amen? I thank God for Calvary. But you know what? If we don't come to Jesus, we're not going to be born again. Just because Jesus died on a cross and you happen to know that he died on a cross and that he was buried in a borrowed tomb uh, and that three days later he rose from the dead, just because you know that doesn't make you saved. You've got to believe it and begin to apply it in your life and yield yourself to the governance and the control of the Lord Jesus. It's a cooperative effort. And hey, shaking free from the intoxicating effects of this world is a cooperative effort. I don't know if you've ever been addicted to anything 
anything from a physiological standpoint. But I want to tell you something. Until you start cooperating with God, the doctors, the counselors, and everybody else, you're not going to get set free. You've got to start cooperating. But one of the things I find about people who are addi- have an addictive behavior, that's one of the last things they want to do is cooperate. Because they're under this spell. And Jesus said, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness. Listen carefully. That phrase, take heed, listen, here's what it really means. It means to take hold of the mind towards something. To hold the mind towards something, to pay close attention, to be cautious about. What's he saying here? You better get a hold of your thought life. If you want to shake free from these things, you better be careful about what goes on in here. And you better take charge of your thoughts because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You got to start realizing that the way you think has got you in a mess and you may need to change the way you think. Somebody say a bigger amen. And that's what Jesus said. Hey, hey, you better get a hold of your thoughts here. Because as you think, so are you. And so he said, we've got to take heed to ourselves. The message says, you better put your mind in gear. You better think about what's going on in your life. And in the world around you, listen carefully. Some people look at the world around them, oh, who cares? They, they're not in gear spiritually. They're not taking heed to their thought life. They're just walking out into the world and letting the world knock them around and do this and that to them because they are not mentally and spiritually engaged in the battle that is going on in their life. Jesus said, you better take heed to yourself. You better get control of your thought life. That's what Jesus said. It's in the red, so it's what he said, amen? And so, what a powerful verse. And then he says this, he says, well, hey, think about the First Peter uh, 1, 13 passage. He said, gird up the loins of your mind. We read it a moment ago when he talked about sobering up. You better get control of your thought life. You can't just let your mind go wandering and crazy. You got to get a, everybody said get a grip, you got to get it. We talked about getting a grip on our thought life last month. We got to get a grip on the way we think and begin to change the way we think. Peter said, uh, uh, gird up the loins of your mind. And Paul said in Romans 13 there, he said, hey, do this. You got to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust thereof. That word provision means forethought in supplying. Everyone say forethought in supplying. You can take walk honestly off there. I'm not there yet. <laughs> Thank you. You saw Romans 13. We'll use it again. Uh, you know what he said? He, he said, take forethought in supplying. I have a confession to make. Y'all want to know it? I have an addiction. You know what it is? No, it's not Bluebell. I'm, I broke that. I'm free from Bluebell. Well, don't, don't put it in front of me now. Don't test me on it. No, I'm not. Well, but I don't get off that. We don't talk about that. I have a physiological addiction to something. Nose spray. I've been squirting nose spray longer than Laura Beth's been alive. And let me tell you about my addiction. I take forethought in my whole life when it comes to nose spray. It controls my life. I wake up in the morning. About mid-afternoon, I'm going to eat me a nice meal. We can go out to eat. I got to have my 
no spray. You can't enjoy a meal with all stuffed up in your head. And at night, buddy, if I'm packing to go out of town, I may forget my toothbrush, but we don't forget the nose. And isn't that the way it is with any addiction? It controls your life. And what Paul said, you've got to break that. Because he said, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Stop. Hey, you're, you're so thought conscious of supplying this addiction in your life. You've got to break that thought process and start living your life. Uh, stop living your life under the control of this addiction in your life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You ever get home at night and realize you're out of coffee? Is anybody at, at midnight gone? Oh my God. I got to go back to the store because in the morning I got to have my coffee. You just can't live without that, right? That's what we're talking about. Paul said we, these things that control our life, we got to start taking heed and realizing they're controlling our lives. Everybody say take heed. Number two, we sober up by walking honestly. Romans 13, 13. Now I hit it, all right? There you go. Romans 13, 13, he says, he said, let us uh, 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 walk honestly before the Lord. That walk uh, righteously, there's a different translation, but really the whole feel is walk honestly uh, and, and not allow the things of the world to, to uh, cause us to be addicted to them. You got to be honest with God and yourself. Did you know most addicts are not honest with anybody? You think about it many times. I'm not, you know, I, well, I just confess my addiction to nose spray. But I'm telling you, they deceive themselves. And here's what, until they come to the place where they're broken, busted, and disgusted, here's what they say. Oh, I can quit anytime. I'm not really addicted. I can stop doing this any day. I don't have to have this. I just want it. And one of these days, I'll quit. You ever heard that before? But then you try and you realize, uh-oh, this thing's got a grip on me. You know what? One of the first steps to shaking loose is just getting honest with God and others and say, you know what? This thing has control of my life. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to walk honestly here. I'm not going to try to cover it up. I'm not going to try to candy coat it. I'm not going to try to, you know, in fact, one of the worst deceptions in life is self-deception. Jesus said, or pardon me, James said this. He said, uh, uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. You know what? If we're going to sober up, we've got to, take heed to ourselves and start being honest with ourselves and walking honestly before God and others and say, this is the battle that I'm facing. This is what I'm going to begin to shake loose from. This is what I'm going to begin to uh, 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 release. My, this is where I need to sober up a little bit and realize this thing has control of my life. Amen. Are you with me? Number three, we sober up not only by walking honestly, but by putting on, there's a lot of verses. In fact, Romans 13, 13, 
He said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, that verse I read to you earlier, talks about putting on some things and putting on the the armor of God in our life and putting on the the breastplate of love and, and righteousness and faith in our hearts and putting some things on in our life. You see, uh, it's not just in taking, shaking loose from some things. It's putting some things on to activate the word of God in our life. And I'm going to begin to put these things on every morning when I get up. I'm going to think, I, I, I'm going to take heed to my life. I'm going to give heed to my life. I'm taking heed to the way I'm walking. I'm going to be honest with God and realize there's temptations out there. There's addictions out there. There's things that want to control my life and influence my life. And so this morning, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm putting on the, hey, go to Ephesians and get spiritually dressed. I'm putting on the armor of God. I'm taking the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. I'm not going to let this thing get me. I'm going to be prepared and ready in my life. I'm not going to just wander out into this world and let it put its hook in my brain. Amen. Is that good preaching or or y'all want to go home? Y'all want to go eat buffalo wings or something? I got I got 12 minutes. Give me a give me just one more moment or two. We got to put these things on. It's proactive. I'm putting my and there's a lot to be said. I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I'm covering my mind and the things of God and the and the reality that I'm bought with a price. And these things don't control my life. I'm sobering up. Tell somebody I'm sobering up. I'm sobering up. I'm I'm going to start living like somebody who's sober. I'm going to start living like somebody who's filled with the Holy Ghost. Hello. I'm going to start living like somebody who wants to be free from the addictions of this life and be filled and under the control control and influence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. (coughs) That was pathetic. Y'all are pathetic. I'm going to try one more time while I drink. A little better. Amen. We sober up by putting on the armor of God and the and the clothes of God in our life, and we prepare ourselves every day to walk out into a world not to be influenced, but to influence. Not to uh, to to be under the control of this world, but to be uh, under the control of the Holy Spirit flowing through our lives. Amen. Not just to us, but through us. Number four, we sober up as we learn from Peter and other passages of Scripture by watching. Everyone say watching. First Thessalonians 5 talks about being spiritually awake. The word watching means to stay awake. And we read it in 1 Thessalonians 5. You've got to stay awake. You've got to watch. You can't, you can't fall asleep. You can't be lulled to sleep. What is one of the first things somebody who gets really inebriated, what do they want to do after they run out of gas a little bit? They want to sleep. And some of them just pass right out. Sleep in the most unusual places. Side of the road under the bridge that your best buddy's pad <laughs> passed out why I got inebriated and finally I just had to fall asleep did you know there's a lot of people in life spiritually they just pass smooth out 
They got so under the control and the influence of some intoxicating effect, they are absolutely spiritually sound asleep and dead to what's going on around them. They're not watching. Peter said this, you better stay awake. Why? You better be vigilant. That means stay awake. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion. If he finds you asleep spiritually, he will ravage your life and you will wake up with, what happened to me? We sober up by taking heed to ourselves, by walking honestly before God and man, by putting on uh, all that we need to put on in our life, the armor of God in our life and the, and the clothes of God, if you will. You look at all those scriptures and by staying spiritually awake and not being lulled asleep by the intoxicating effects of this world. And number five, we sober up by resting. If you look in First Peter chapter 1, when he, uh, in fact, I want to look at it again, verse 13, where he said, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. And I love this, rest your hope. Everyone say, rest your hope. Rest your hope. That's a great phrase. Rest your hope mean, means this. I'm, I'm putting it all. I'm hoping. I'm trusting. I'm having confidence in. I'm, I'm, I'm settled in this fact. I'm putting all my energy and effort and confidence and trust in this fact. Resting your hope upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Put your total trust in eternity. That you were bought with a price. That one day, and it will be one day, Jesus will return. And how we live our life on planet earth, we will be rewarded or not rewarded for how we live. And if you want to stay sober, keep in tune with the temporal nature of the life you're living right now. That this may be the last day you'll ever have to serve him. Pastor, you're getting kind of morbid. Hey, this is the shortest amount of time we'll ever live anywhere is planet Earth. Come on now. And if you want to stay, listen, when he comes back, I don't want to be intoxicated with this world. I I don't want to be found lacking. In fact, Jesus, what did Jesus warn us back? If you go back to Luke 21, the first one where he said, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. Hello. And that day will come when we all stand before him. In fact, when you look at the teachings of Jesus, there are many different parables where this theme is kind of uh, interwoven. One of them, I think about a vineyard where a man owned a vineyard and he put his servants in charge and he went on a long journey and uh, the people in charge got to thinking, well, maybe he's not coming back and they began to abuse their privileges. They began to beat the slaves and even kill their helpers and workers and and abuse those underneath them and the, the master came back. Why did they do that? They didn't think he was ever coming back. 
So we've got to put our confidence and our trust in Him and rest our hope upon Him today. Amen. Let me give you one more you can look up later because this is a whole message in and of itself. And it has nothing to do. It's not from the verses I shared with you earlier. But it's we sober up by departing, purging, fleeing, and pursuing. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 through 21, uh, where Paul's telling Timothy, uh, you got to depart from the evil things. You've got to purge yourself from the evil things. You've got to flee from them. And you've got to pursue after righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on God from a pure heart. That's a message in and of itself, and you can preach it to yourself later. But what I'm just trying to get you to the place this morning as we close is this. If we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and if, if we want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it can't be in just what we say, but it has to be in what we do. We've got to put, put ourselves in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And you know the cool thing about the Holy Spirit? Jesus said he's our helper. You see, when you set your mind to get a control of your thoughts and you start taking heed, when you start getting honest with yourself, when you start endeavoring to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, when you start endeavoring to stay spiritually in tune and watching and stay awake and not be lulled to sleep by this, what this world has to offer, if you start resting your hope in, his, in, in eternity and realizing that the life is very temporal on planet earth and I've got to live my life to the glory of God, if you'll come to a place like Paul told Timothy where you start departing and purging and fleeing yourself and pursuing after the things of God, guess what? You'll begin to sober up. The things that have you bound will begin to lose their grip and the intoxicating effects of this world will lose their uh, uh, influence in your life and you'll be a prime recipient of the river to begin to flow through you. Amen? You see, if you have Pentecostal background, as I have some, I'm a little Baptist, a little Pentecostal, a little charismatic, a little all meshed up. We might have this tendency when we think about the flow of the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing wrong with this. It happened in Scripture. What we need is a big prayer line. And some evangelists come knock us down. And we get up full of the Holy Ghost. I'm not being critical. But I've seen a lot of guys hit the floor and get up just the same. Why? Because they never sobered up. Can I be honest with you today? We don't need some religious experience only. We need to get sober so God can begin to fill. flow of the Holy Spirit in our life. Amen. I know it's noon, but let's take a little time to just seal all this a moment. Let's stand together. Let's ask ourselves some key questions. Is there anything in my life that's got a grip on me that is intoxicating me that, that, I, that I have fallen spell to, under the spell of? anything in this life that the world has to offer that has intoxicated me and distracted me from the flow of the Holy Spirit in my life. Ask yourself those kind of questions. 
Lord, is, is there some areas where I need to sober up? Somebody needs to be honest with themselves.